Good morning, Los Angeles. Welcome back to the Apologetics.com radio show. It is Saturday morning or Friday night, depending on your perspective, and we are going to be here for the next hour in studio in Glendale talking about how to love your Muslim neighbor in America. And we got a great guest with us tonight. His name is Wally Razaki, and we also have my good friend Bob Peruka in studio tonight. And we are going to be touching on a bit of Wally's story, his journey uh, from Islam to Christianity. And this is an important conversation that we want to have tonight because there are, I think, one and a half billion people on this planet that might be Muslims. And that is a huge number of people that we need to be concerned about reaching with the gospel um, for Christ, not only uh, to change their hearts and their souls and that they might be reconciled to their creator God and they might spend eternity with him in heaven, but if you could imagine what kind of impact that could have just on uh, a global scale, if people's hearts are changed, if God changes their hearts from stone and gives them hearts of flesh where they love God and love their neighbor, um, that could be just huge for world um, peace and prosperity and love and joy and all kinds of awesome things. So this is the Apologetics.com radio show. My name is Jason Gallagher. I'll be your host. If you want to give us a call, I want to throw out the number before I forget. It's 888-995-KKLA. That's 888-995-5552. We're here every Friday at midnight. we got four different hosts that pretty much rotate through on a monthly basis. Um, my background, I'm an engineer by trade, by profession. I got a master's degree from Stanford, so I love just kind of using my mind to think critically and deeply about things of God, the faith, the Bible, scriptures. Um, I love to share my faith, you know, often go out just on the streets to talk with people about uh, the gospel and eternity. And that's been kind of a a training ground for me to help sharpen my skills and sharpen kind of my uh, apologetic knowledge of the scriptures because questions always come up about um, the Bible, Christianity, ethics, you know, why we should believe the Bible. We had a great conversation just before the show here, kind of in studio, talking about, um, you know, different interpretations of scripture and different ways of looking at, um, you know, different events in the life of Jesus. And coming from a Muslim background, Wally is going to give us some great insights, and he's going to help us see, you know, Christianity and the Bible from a Muslim perspective because he spent much of his life looking at things um, that way. And then that'll help us share with you guys how you might go about explaining the Christian faith to Muslims in a way that they could better understand it that's that's loving and kind and gentle. Um, but I do want to go ahead and introduce our guests. I will say hello to Wally over at my left. Wally, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. I'm so glad. I'm so happy to be here. We've already had some interesting happy to have you conversations man. before we got started. Yeah. So tell us, you know, what church do you go to? Um, I know you're a friend of my sister's. That's how we met. Mm-hmm. And um, so you go to Bel Air Presbyterian Church. That's right. Um, I've been at Bel Air Press. Uh, it's going to be four years. Um, uh, this Christmas, and right uh, it was, you know, it's still one of those things I can't really believe that I'm a member of a Presbyterian church, Presbyterian a happy member, church, active yeah. member. Uh, in fact, it, they often call me the mascot of Bel Air, yeah. which is a compliment to me. We you know? we are also members of a Presbyterian church, Bob and I. I don't know if I told you, um, but we're both deacons, Bob and I, ordained deacons in the um, – Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Down in Torrance. Down in Torrance, Branch of Hope. Yeah, and so we're, we're actually sponsored. This show is sponsored by our church. Awesome. Um, they help support this ministry. Uh, we'd love to invite you guys down uh, for a Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Uh, where you could hear our pastor, Paul Vigiano. He's also on KKLA every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., uh, but we'd rather have you join us in person than listen to him on the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I would normally would wear my, my John Knox uh, kilt. <laughs> In nice. honor of the Presbyterian Church, but it's a little cold these it's days. It's a little cold. Yeah. Nice, man. <laughs> I have um, to see that one time, man. Yeah, so uh, I was born in Afghanistan, and uh, like so many other Afghan families, we we escaped when the war started, and that was 1979. I was only about nine months old when my parents you know, did the very heroic 
and uh, and brave thing to mm. to take their three kids, escape through a desert in the back of a truck. You know, if you ever read the Kite Runner, or mm-hmm. saw the movie, it's it's very much like that. Um, and uh, you know, our adventures took us into Pakistan, and right away you're you're broke because you spend every dollar you have to bribe your way in. And uh, we made our way to Germany. Wow. Uh, which had an open sort of asylum policy, okay. which is relevant you know, nowadays. Um, and in Germany, there was a lot of people from Afghanistan, and they would give you housing, and they'd give you, uh, you know, food stamps and all that. My parents decided they wanted to come to the United States, and we were blessed to have a sponsor, uh, my uncle, um, who had a very prestigious position. He was the U.S. He was the ambassador to the United Nations from Afghanistan. Oh, wow. Okay. But there's a catch. Uh, it wasn't a very popular uh, you know, person to know when the war is happening and mm. when uh, the Afghan government was, um, was the one responsible for inviting the communist regime of okay. Russia to come into the country. So basically a lot of people wanted him dead. But we did get into the country. We got into the United States, and we ended up in Queens, New York, your typical – you know, uh, you know, immigrants with three kids and a hundred dollars kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, so much credit to my parents. They just started working right away. My dad always had this belief that if you got on welfare or got any sort of government help that you would be put on a list okay. and, and perhaps owe them. Oh, and interesting. so he, he didn't want to so do that. That kept him working hard. And- that kept him working hard. And, and before we knew it, we owned a little pizza shop. It's uh, awesome over there in Queens, uh, near near St. John's University. An Afghan pizza shop. Yep, Sweet. the Mama's Pizza. It was one of my first good. memories of playing Miss Pac-Man and having a slice. But New York in the '80s, I think it's it's depicted pretty well in the music and the movies. It was rough. Mm-hmm. Um, my older brother got he got mugged on the subway. Uh, you know, people stole my bike. My, my mom got held at gunpoint. Um, we got robbed a few times. Okay. I mean, it was no place that my parents wanted to be. So my mom had this idea. She said, you know what? There was this little place that I went to in California in 1976, even before I was born. Hmm. She had a scholarship to do a nursing program in Santa Cruz, which is a little beach town up north here yeah, in California. Yeah. So she said, I remember there was all hippies. There was nothing bad going on there. Nobody getting robbed. Let's just drive out to Santa Cruz from New York. So we did. We hopped in the car, drove cross country. And my mom is pretty awesome in terms of her navigation because she didn't have Google or anything. And she found the family's house. It was a doctor uh, and his wife and their six kids. Mm -hmm. So we found the house. She goes, (laughs) knocks on the door and says, hey, do you remember me? Here's my family from Afghanistan. We need a place to stay. How old were you now? At that time, I was almost seven. Okay. Yeah, about seven years old. So that's really where I grew up. Are you the youngest? Are you the oldest? I'm the third. And then we had another one uh, about 11 years after me. So we had four kids all together. Okay. And very Afghan family. Like my parents made that very clear. We enjoyed it. We liked it. We listened to Afghan music. We ate Afghan food. We'd go to parties. But this idea, this this choice to be in Santa Cruz was very very strategic. Mm -hmm. My parents mom knew that the big Afghan community was about an hour away, okay. but I think she wanted that distance. And that allowed me to really be like an American and really be a kid and do the things we wanted to do. And it was a nice upbringing everything you'd want for your kids and you know, playing football, you know, having a girlfriend here and there, whatever it was, you know, doing, doing plays and musicals, mm-hmm. but the entire time retaining the Afghan Muslim identity. Mm-hmm. And when I was 16, yeah. when I was 16, I made a conscious choice to say, you know what? I don't want to just be Muslim because my parents say so. I want to mm. practice and I want to be good at it. Mm. And, you know, I think ego has something to do with that, too. You know, you want to be good at something. You want to stand out. And mm-hmm. you know, being religious, you know, in any you know community these days, nowadays is kind of rare, especially for teenagers. But so I committed to it. I began praying every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I committed to the no alcohol, to the no sex before marriage, um, you know, reading the Quran and going to mosque. And it really was working out pretty well because you could still do everything else you want to do. I know there's a there's an idea that being Muslim in America is hard these days. Mm. But I really feel it's 
probably harder to be Christian, to be honest, Mm -hmm. to be an outgoing Christian Mm -hmm. at least. Sure, Um, sure. uh, I mean, just imagine you can go to any restaurant and if someone puts pork in your food, you send it right back and you get apologies and probably, you know, a free (laughs) meal. And if you have to take a prayer break, there's laws that protect you. And, you know, whether Mm -hmm. I'm in school or at work, you have to get a prayer break, Uh, you you know, same holidays and all that. So it was a very comfortable existence. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, getting married and marrying my high school sweetheart, who also became Muslim, you know, like an American convert. Right, right. Which is rare. But but again, it just shows you how America treats, you know, freedom of religion. Sure. Uh, Because, you know, a white girl from Santa Cruz who went to Stanford decides to be Muslim and sometimes wear a hijab, you know, like the head covering. Hmm. She would wear it here and there. It was no big deal. She still, you know, she still thrived in her career. She was in biotech and -hmm. and strategy consulting, and it was just normal. Um, As things progress, you know, things changed. We ended up getting divorced after 11 years of marriage. And even in the divorce, there was something sort of Islamically uh, correct in our divorce in that, in that, you know, women are allowed to get divorced if they want, you know, in a lot of ways, there's a lot of, you know, progression in terms of some of the rules and laws Mm -hmm. where women can inherit and women can, can call for a divorce. And this idea of interesting. Yeah. That might not be, that might be kind of surprising to some of our listeners. I think it is. There was laws that kind of protect women in Islam. Yeah. I think there's a stereotype or maybe a, uh, preconception that women don't have many privileges or rights sure. or whatever. Well, I think that's that's also correct and also okay. fair. But if we're looking at it when we're comparing our societies and our cultures, but when we're comparing sort of our biblical uh, history and the Quran, mm-hmm. then there are there are some progressive rules, some some more um, you know some more freedom for women when it comes to the rules in the Quran. Uh, like for example. Um, there's nothing to say you can't have 10 wives in the mm. Bible. Mm. There's something to say you can't have 10 wives in California law. Mm-hmm. But uh, but in Islam, in the Quran, it limits you to four. Like Solomon, you know, King Solomon had 700 wives. Mm-hmm. And so to limit it to four and also add the restrictions of the first wife has to approve of the second wife. And the second and the first wife have to approve of the third, and you have to give equal wow. amount of money and equal <laughs> amount of time. And it even says that you have to love everyone equally, but it's nearly impossible to do that. <laughs> sure. um, you know, so setting those standards. But you know, when you're Muslim your whole life, you find a lot of good things in it. You try to, you know, mm-hmm. and and I was really good at answering questions and pointing out things like that, and really sort of ignoring the bigger question, which was. Do you have a relationship with God, and what's that like? During your growing up um, as a Muslim in America, did you? When did you first, I guess, be influenced, or when did this idea of Christianity? Do you remember first coming into contact with that worldview and that, um, you know, way of thinking and believing? Do you remember when that yeah. happened? Or there's always. The stories that we tell, you know, whether it's our testimony or just our our story of how we came to church, there's my story and then there's a story that I think God wants me to tell, right? There's like a different perspective and, and I'll explain. I came, my first contact with Christianity, my first moment of realizing that, hey, maybe there's, maybe I'll explore a little more was, it was after my divorce and, you know, um, so I made movies, by the way, so that was that's what I got into after school. Right, right. Um, I love football and then movies, and I got very blessed and lucky. And my very first film went to Sundance and it won a lot of awards. And uh, it sort of, it sort of blew the doors open when I was twenty-one. Yeah. And so that was a nice way to start the career, and you know, went on to make about ten other movies. You have your I, own day. <laughs> Let's October hear about that 8th. a little bit. October eighth <laughs> on October Wally 8th, Day, Wally Rizaki Day in the city of Santa Cruz. What happens on October 8th? You know, I I haven't gotten a parade or anything. I um, Does people call you? or? Yeah, you know, um, it's one of those things where a lot of my friends still think I bribed the mayor or something. Um, That's funny. 
yeah, you know, see, those are those things where... And you have a key to the city. Yeah, you know, I got a proclamation and, you know, a fancy ceremony and all that. It's pretty cool. But it was really because of my film accomplishments and Mm -hmm. uh, and a TV series that I created and, uh, you know, always wanting to show my movies in my hometown and always going back there. Um, And, you know, know, up until I came to Christ, that was probably my biggest accomplishment, you know, my the thing I'd hang my hat on. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's always one of those things where you look back and I think we talked about that earlier, too, where you look back and you say, wow, that was so important to me. That meant so much. Mm-hmm. But so, so, sure. you know, so I have this sort of resume that what I once good. considered, you know, gain. I now can like I think Paul in Philippians talks about how all his accolades, he just considers them rubbish. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. For the sake of knowing Christ. Yes. And, yep. And so so I had all these accolades, you know, at least I felt like I did. And, you know had something to hang my hat on and that now all of a sudden I'm divorced and, and I didn't want to just make another movie. Um, but I had met a friend by the name of Chris Wolf. He was an actor. We were in a film together and I did find myself gravitating towards kind, uh, articulate, humble, and even good looking people, you know, just like Mm. this sort of brand of person that was rare and, and I just wanted to be around him and, and uh, he said that he was going to this thing called the L.A. Men's Group and that I was welcome to come, but uh, but it is Bible-based, he said. Mm-hmm. And so if you talk to me about the Bible when I was a Muslim, mm-hmm. I would get kind of excited because I love debating Christians and I love okay. pointing certain things out. And I said, sure, well, sure. I don't, I don't mind the Bible. In fact, you have to believe in the Old Testament and the New Testament to be a Muslim. And of course, I would put that out there and then explain that, well, we, we also believe that the New Testament was changed. Right. But the stories in the Quran have to do with Abraham and Noah mm-hmm. and, and, and Jonah and, uh, you know, I mean, uh, Moses, Adam. Adam, I mean, the same creation story, the same, the same God that created everything and even Jesus. So there's a comfort level for me at that point to say, I'm not afraid of the Bible, but if sure. there's a bunch of good dudes there, let's go and see what's going on and. And so I go there, and it was just a community of, I guess you could say alpha males who were all doing different things all over L.A., but um, there was a humility and a brotherhood that was was very appealing. And the guest speaker they had that night was uh, a guy by the name of Pastor Drew Sams, and they introduced him as being this young, new pastor of of Bel Air Presbyterian church. Mm. And just one thing that stood out from that night was the way that he spoke. He had command of the room of all these guys, but it wasn't by being loud Mm -hmm. or being big or it was in a calm, almost like passive way. He was commanding the room, Mm -hmm. which now I know is very Mm Christ-like in the way you speak to people and the way you teach. It's not overbearing. It's not, dominant and yelling. Um, right. And so he, that didn't make me say, okay, I want to jump into Christianity now. It, in fact, it almost, uh, it was a, a good first impression. It was a good first impression, but it was kind of like, okay, I'll be the, I'll be the Muslim guy in the group. I don't mind being unique. I like the attention. I like being different. And, uh, there wasn't anything that different from what I want to believe. Um, and, so as time went by, I started doing these, these kind of therapeutic walks, okay? So I would walk 10 miles a day through L.A. carrying a football. Mm-hmm. So remember, I... Because you used to play football. I used to play football. It's almost like a baby blanket, you know, like mm-hmm. Linus's blanket, right? And um, I would walk and, you know, because when you're not sure what you're going to do, you literally want to move forward, you know, not, mm-hmm. like I'm that kind of person. But what would happen is people would stop me and say, hey, why do you get a football? And, Hey, let's play catch and at a gas station, at a park, on the sidewalk with business people, with a guy in a wheelchair. And one night I am walking by a gas station at about midnight and someone says, hey, why do you got a football? And I turn and it's Justin Bieber. What? Yeah. And that's what I said. I said, what? Justin Bieber. <laughs> and so I throw him the ball and we start playing catch. And it's a sp- pretty cool special Hollywood moment, you know, one of those random moments and there's no one around, there's no cameras, nothing like that. And we're playing catch and he looks at me and he says, Hey Wally, let me ask you something. Do you know Jesus? 
Go Justin. And uh, I said, well, um, I'm Muslim. And I think I knew him on Monday. I went to this, like, this L.A. men's group thing. <laughs> I said, but don't get excited. You know, I'm Muslim, so I know I'm different than you. And I said, okay, that's the end of that. Let's keep playing catch and have some fun. And uh, he says, well, do you want to get to know Jesus better? Now I'm thinking, okay, this guy's ruining this moment. <laughs> and I could tell he's being sincere, though. And he says, do you want to go to my Bible study with me? Uh, it's on Wednesday at 730 here in Glendale. And now I'm thinking to myself, I really want to say yes. It's Justin Bieber. Because of Justin. <laughs> well, like, I'm not going to lie. It's like, how often do you get invited to this very personal thing with someone that, you know, is just kind of larger than life. And, yeah. and I was a fan anyway, you know, I thought it was cool. And, and plus I've had these Hollywood moments. I really enjoyed them. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so I wanted to say yes so bad, but I knew that if I said yes, I'd be pretending to be interested in this Jesus stuff just to get closer to Justin. Mm -hmm. And my whole identity is wrapped around my faith and who I was, you know, in Hollywood, among my family, among my friends. They always knew me as Wally, the Muslim guy. So it was tough. So I said to him, I said, you know, can I think about it? And can we take a picture? Because nobody's going to believe me. <laughs> and, and so we did. And I left. And that's when I learned what Christians mean when they say God put it on my heart because mm. I kept thinking about it and I kept almost trying to convince myself that it's meant to be. Have you ever have something you know you shouldn't be doing, but you almost, you just kind of talk yourself into it. So at the time, of course I thought I shouldn't be doing sure. this, but I said, maybe God wants me to make him Muslim. That's probably what there it you is. Go. <laughs> and so I, you know, I finally came to a point where now I'm challenged saying, well, why am I so afraid? I'm not afraid to go into some, you know, Christian sort of setting. So I said, mm -hmm. you know what? I'm going to go, but not to Justin Bieber's thing because there'll be pressure and he'll probably ask me. I'll go somewhere where nobody knows me. And I said, you know, that, that Pastor Drew guy was really good. He had, a, he had a, a nice way of speaking. Maybe he'd be interesting in his own setting. So I, so I walked into Bel Air Presbyterian carrying the same football. I <laughs> sat right in the front row and... You feel know, like a Sunday morning now? It was a Sunday morning and you know, my first time walking into a church like that. And, wow. and and I sat down almost with like a chip on my shoulder, you know, like, all right, go ahead and impress me. And 12 weeks went by and I hadn't missed a sermon. And I kept going back. I kept going back. Uh, it was Pastor Kim who first invited me to sit down. I mean, when they say that, you know, your smile can really change someone's life, <laughs> can really make their day. I mean, it, it's true. The the hospitality, the reaction, the genuine kindness I got from the people at Bel Air, it wasn't the only time I got it, but it started making sense that, okay, I see why I'm drawn here. Same reason I was drawn to Chris Wolf and same reason I enjoyed being in that men's group. Mm -hmm. And I realized that, okay, there's, there's something drawing me here. And uh, now I had to sort of test my own theology I had to test all the things that I believed, all the arguments I ever made with Christians, all the things that I thought were so clear on how Christians made a mistake with Jesus and how he was clearly a prophet. Mm -hmm. and he just, never died on a cross. And just, well, because he had miracles, they just mistook him for God. Mm -hmm. But every prophet had miracles. But then I started really thinking, like, why is, why is Pastor Drew talking about Jesus like he's a guy, like he knows him? Like, mm. there was this interesting, uh, almost like offensive at first. Mm. Like, you're talking about God, supposedly, and you're just casual about it. Yeah. But, but it started really sinking in that maybe there's more to Jesus than I thought. And, uh, you know, that's when I really dove in and I started looking up videos and reading books and actually Nabil Qureshi was his book Seeking Allah Finding Jesus mm -hmm. uh, was the most powerful and probably the only relatable book for someone in my position who was like an American Muslim okay um, and it then it became almost like an episode of Law and Order okay now we're investigating now I mean I, I, I pride myself on being a good detective and secret agent kind of thing I love those movies Mission Impossible and all the court shows and now I'm looking at well there's no problem with the person of Jesus because he's all over the Quran and sure Isa I started learning more about the Quran in church 
than I ever did like, like in a mosque. And that's, that's because I, I had to sort of dive in and say, well, let's see what we really think about him. Cause, cause you gotta remember like most Muslims, they, they acknowledge Jesus, Esau, the same way that most Christians acknowledge, let's say Nehemiah or, you know, Habakkuk. Right, it's right, like, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in our book. Yeah, for sure. He's in there. I think the Old Testament, you know, and if you know that much, then you're probably a pretty good Christian, <laughs> you know. Well, you guys, we are coming up on a break that is fast, uh, fascinating how fast the half hour goes by. But we have Wally Rizaki in studio, also with Bob Peruka, who's been pretty quiet over there so far. Wally came to Christ about four years ago after living a life uh, growing up as a Muslim. And so he's here sharing his journey with us. And we'll be right back after this quick message. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight. This is Jason Gallagher. This is the Apologetics.com radio show where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. We have Raleigh Razaki in studio with us tonight who came to Christ about four years ago after growing up as a Muslim here in America from Afghanistan. And um, he was just sharing with us a little bit about his journey in the first half hour, and we wanted to ask him a few questions that have been raised. Bob Peruka had a couple questions on his mind. Um, you know, one thing Wally just said prior to the break is how when he started going to Bel Air Presbyterian Church and kind of hearing the pastor talking and talking about Jesus and kind of just talking about this, there was like an intimacy there and Jesus was just kind of like his friend and who he hung out with and there was like this relationship which, which seemed a little bit offensive to Wally um, in the beginning, like speaking about God like so casually and like this relationship with him. But it reminded me of Christmas, you know, which is the season we're in right now, which is, you know, my favorite time of the year. It's just full of love and and joy and, you know, all these wonderful things in the air. Um, But it reminds me that Christmas is all about God coming to us, right? God coming on this rescue mission to, to chase down those who were running from him and... You know, we know from Isaiah seven fourteen, you know, that there would be this virgin and this virgin would be with a child and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, right? And it is an amazing aspect of Christianity, right, that God would descend to become man um, to be with us, right? Philippians 2 speaks about this, right? Um, and tells us as Christians to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father so that is a beautiful picture of Christmas you know God becoming a man um, making himself a human like lowering himself humbling himself becoming obedient to death on a cross and then God highly exalting him, giving him the name that is above every name, you know, that one day we will all stand before him and bow before him. Um, so that's kind of the, the beautiful Christmas segue that I had to throw in there. Um, I think that is uh, so well said. And it's, it's ironic to me that the thing that makes us Christian, the thing that makes us different is really the is the fundamental problem when I was looking at Christianity through Muslim eyes. I think it was Diedrich Bonhoeffer Mm. who said that the thing that makes Christians different than anyone else in the world and any other faith, any other group of believers is Christians have an irrational love for people, Mm. a love that doesn't make sense. That's how you can tell a Christian, he said, when you love people in a way that 
is try to be in a way that that God loves us. It's like supernatural, right? Supernatural, but it's illogical. It, it's it's above yeah. and beyond what the normal basic human mind can sort of register as mm-hmm. making sense. And so, uh, you know, it's ironic, isn't it? The the thing that makes us Christian is the thing that makes the least amount of sense <laughs> coming from a Muslim perspective. And right. and you know that that intimacy, that relationship, that talking about God. It wasn't like it was my personal feelings that were offended. It's mm-hmm. it's it's ingrained in us as Muslims. Like you don't even say the Prophet Muhammad's name without sure. following up with Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, which means and peace, uh, peace and blessings be upon him mm-hmm. every single time. And right. so it becomes this very, um, you know, formal. Uh, you know, uh, like it's like he's not really a person. He's this person yeah. that you have to like say this whole other piece in Arabic after right. his There's name. There's a respect there, right? It's a reverence maybe. Right. But is it respect when you feel like you have to you do have it? You have to do it, right. You know, what's interesting too is I, I work with um, Muslims. You know, I've, I've worked with these folks for 20 years. They're friends of mine. Um, love them dearly. And um, when I watch them, I, you know, when they pray, I mean, it's obviously it's a very formal set prayer. And I kind of contrast that with, like, my wife and I, when we're in a restaurant, mm. we pray before we eat. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, grab your hand, and we just bow our heads. And it's it's not a formal deal. It's just like, this is, you know, honoring God by thanking him for the food, thanking him for blessing our lives and blessing us mm-hmm. with each other. But just, it's not, it's it's just, it's informal, you know, but it's not. Disrespectful. It's not disrespectful, right? You know, well, just... I think that's also the difference with being a Muslim and a Christian is, and this may be, you know, something that you know some Christians would consider advanced Christianity when it comes to this prayer life. But I feel like you can pray like that, which seems casual, mm-hmm. but that's because you live in a state of prayer. Like you live as a Christian in a state where you're constantly available mm-hmm. to uh, to give praise to God, mm-hmm. uh, where as a Muslim, there was a ritual. There was, um, you know, we'd have to do the ablution, like wash yourself. Mm-hmm. We'd wash mm-hmm. the hand. You know, it's, it's a very clear system how to do it. You wash your hands, then right hand and left hand and, you know, you know, I mean, it's very, very set. And only then can you pray. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was very specific, like you had to cuff your pants, you had to face mm-hmm. a certain direction, you had to play, uh, pray somewhere clean. I mean, if you could. And so also when we pray as Muslims, uh, when we would pray as Muslims, uh, there wasn't, I can say whatever I want. It's set Mm -hmm. exactly what you're going to recite. And and it's going to be in Arabic, even if you don't speak Arabic. Mm -hmm. It doesn't count if it's not in Arabic. So when you're an English speaker and you speak Farsi a little bit here and there at home and you pray in Arabic, it really gets down to exactly what we know about the Old Testament, which is we have to just meet these standards and maybe, you know, I mean, I would be surprised if more than half of the American Muslims who pray actually know what they're saying in Arabic. Mm -hmm. But there is still a sense of, you know, devotion. There's a sense of, you know, commitment. There's a sense of uh, reverence. Yeah. Reverence, you know, and, and it's very serious, but that's the only relationship you have with God is when you are speaking Arabic and putting your head on the ground. I Mm -hmm. mean, you, uh, it's very rare to find a Quran that's not wrapped up in like a nice, you, uh, you know, like a nice um, scarf or something like like in uh, people's homes. It's not made to just uh, let me flip it open and mm-hmm. check it out. Um, right. There's a clear gap between you and being right. in communication with God. I've heard from other, I think, Muslims who have become Christians that there's even little things that could offend a Muslim. If they like come to your home or something, and one of them is like seeing a Bible, mm-hmm. say like just laying on the carpet or somewhere mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. just kind of casual, right? right. They right. might see that as like a sign of disrespect or yes. something like that. It could be offensive. Yeah, I mean, I think um, that a lot of that has to do with the culture, but yeah, but it's the same thing. Like my like my dad would, you know, my whole life I never heard anyone in my family fart. Oh, all right, man, like, those are yeah. such joyful moments. <laughs> They bring a lot of laughter. You know what? They're like the, the joke that never gets old. There's some things about being Muslim that I like, okay? <laughs> Nobody wants to hear your fart. 
Oh, man, it's the joke that never dies, man. <laughs> I will laugh at a good point. <laughs> just I won't do it. Um, but but it's true. But the, uh, so much of that has to do Sanct- with culture. As he gets sanctified. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like putting your feet up, like, on the couch towards the direction of your parents. Like, uh-uh. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Like, that's not right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm hearing stories about Jesus is bending down and washing the feet People's of feet. people. Mm. Um, that contrast, that... I mean, it almost shocked me into, okay, okay, let, let, let me look into this. And um, this is what I really want to share. To understand who Jesus is, as crazy as it sounds, I didn't even have to go to the Bible at first. Mm. Because what people don't know is in the entire Quran, it's about the size of a Bible. It's 144 chapters. And... The Prophet Muhammad is mentioned in five different places um, in the Quran. There's so much in, in the Quran that is in the Old Testament um, that are the same familiar stories, but, but Muhammad mentioned five different times. And remember, he's the example. He is the perfect example of a Muslim. Mm-hmm. Jesus is mentioned 25 different times in mm-hmm. that same Quran. And not a version of Jesus, not a this guy kind of resembles Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, who was born to the Virgin Mary. And on a quick side note, I didn't realize this my whole life that in the entire Quran, there's no woman named. Even in the familiar stories, it says the wife of or the daughter of, except for one, Mm -hmm. Mary. And she has her own chapter in the Quran. There's a whole story about Mary and she's considered a perfect human being also. Mm -hmm. But in chapter four, verse 177 of the Quran, it says that, God, Allah, just means God. Um, It says that Jesus was the word of God and that God breathed his word into the belly of Mary and also put his spirit in him. Hmm. Now, see, again, this is in the Quran already. The only time that anyone is referred to as the word, Mm. the only time, everyone... Everywhere else, it's man, messenger, prophet, slave, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is. But Jesus is called the Word, and I've cross-referenced Arabic, make sure that I didn't misunderstand, the Word of God. And there's even a hint of a Holy Spirit there. Mm -hmm. Breathe His Spirit into Him. So that baby that's born to Mary is the same Jesus who has... All the same miracles that are in the Bible are in the Quran, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. He could heal the sick. He raised the dead. He even has more miracles in the Quran than he does in the Bible. Mm -hmm. The Quran says that he could speak from the time he was in the cradle. Mm -hmm. The Quran says that he took uh, dirt and shaped it into the form of a bird and he breathed into it and it came to life. Interesting. Now... That sounds like something from the Gospel of Thomas as well. It does, yes. Making these little... things by the riverbed and right but it also sounds to me like how god created adam out of dirt Mm -hmm. and breathe Mm -hmm. into him uh we don't have to convince a muslim that jesus has these profound Mm godlike attributes because uh if you compare it for a moment to the other prophets in the book let's look at muhammad muhammad became a prophet when he was 40. He realized that, and he had one miracle, Mm -hmm. one recorded miracle in the Quran, which was he was completely illiterate, and then he suddenly could write the entire Quran uh, as the angel Gabriel was reciting it to him. So that was his miracle. He went from illiterate to literate. And Jesus went from raising the dead (laughs) to being born of virgin birth to healing the sick to doing all these things, and Mm -hmm. it doesn't end there. What... I wish I knew earlier, and this is why I'm really proud to be traveling the country and going to different churches, because this is a message for Christians as much as it is for Muslims. Mm -hmm. Because as a Christian, if you know this stuff, there's a much easier way to have a conversation about Jesus with your neighbor, with your coworker, with, with your friends. And well, this is, this is what we want to get to. Yeah. Yeah. And the Quran says that Jesus went to the cross for the same reasons to the same persecution. And when he was on the cross, just before they killed him, the Quran says it was made to look like they killed him. 
But God Mm -hmm. saved him. He plucked him off the cross. He took him into heaven. Not just heaven, the highest level, it says. Now, once again, all these miracles he had more than anyone else, and he gets saved to go to the highest level of heaven, um, which I think about it now, and I go, is that the right hand of the Father, highest level, best seat in the house? I mean, it could be you know, considered right. the best mm-hmm. place to be, the closest to God. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't end there. The Quran says that the prophet of Jerusalem, Jesus, Esau, mm-hmm. will return at the end of times. He will appear in the sky, and he will fight a war here on earth to save all of the believers. Okay. It's almost hard to believe, just even saying it, that how is it that the Quran could say all these things about Jesus, mm-hmm. exalt him in such a way where he's saved by God, put into the highest highest level of heaven, and he's given the duty of being the savior of humanity, literally. Mm-hmm. And so the questions that came to me, which I want to ask every Did Muslim— these- did these become more like apparent to you and clear to you? These things. Did you notice these things in the Quran after you became a Christian or before? This was part of my part transition. Of transition. So I was okay. going to I was going to Bel Air Presbyterian for over three months as a Muslim. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is that speaks volumes for the kind of love Christians are supposed to have. I mean, good luck doing that in any other sort of religious place, you know, mm. uh, you know, having real doubt and being unsure, but yet being welcomed and, you know, shown around and all that. But it was necessary because I think, you know, God works through all of us in different ways. But for me, I think, you know, God knew that I'm, I'm someone who has to make rational sense of things. Mm-hmm. And he knew that I had to, I had to think that I was figuring things out, but really he was just always there it was always true yeah but it was the quran that made me go why does jesus why is he so prominent here why does he here's the first question for the listeners this is something that you know you might want to jot down and keep in your pocket next time you see a muslim friend number one why do you believe that jesus didn't have to experience death if he was a man since he didn't die on the cross and he was saved and went to Mm. heaven the question is, why didn't he have to experience death? And Muhammad died, and Moses died, and Abraham died. And I can tell you there's no answer. Okay. Right? Like, I'm not sure. And the next question is, why does he get to have all those miracles and sit at the highest level of heaven? And again, there's no real good answer other than okay. maybe he's God's favorite prophet. I'm not sure. And lastly, of all the people that have served God, that have been in all the scriptures, why does Jesus get to be the Savior and come back? Mm-hmm. And again, there's no clear answer. But what I concluded yeah. and what I think, if a Muslim opens their mind and their heart enough to really ask those questions, mm-hmm. you have to conclude there must be more to Jesus than he was just another man sharing the word of God. And so this kind of circles back to our earlier conversation about the cultural aspect of Islam that is so embedded in the family structure, in the community structure, in the society, maybe that's an obstacle to people converting or people coming to faith, do you think? I really believe that most Muslims just do not know that. They just don't know uh, how, how big Jesus really is in relation to the work that he does, like in the Quran, you know, like, like for God. And, and the thing that that I realize, and this goes back to my sort of law and order investigative thing, there has to be a reason that he doesn't die, right? Because that's the only difference that I said, right? Everything else we believe and all the miracles and the virgin birth and him coming back and saving us and him being at the right hand of the Father, all those things align. But the one thing that doesn't align is that we believe he actually died on the cross. They believe that he did not. And... Yeah, you know, I don't know if this is, you know, I'm a new Christian, so I get excited. I, you know, has anyone else ever, you know, ever said this before? But I believe that the reason he can't die in Islam is because there's one prophecy for Muhammad also. I told you about his miracle, but I didn't tell you about the prophecy, the promise of for Muhammad. Muhammad. For okay. Muhammad, there's one. And, mm-hmm. and that is that he is the final prophet. It, right. says, oh, that, okay. it says that Muhammad is the seal right. of the prophets, right? right? 
So here's the problem. Here's the twist. Here's the problem. <laughs> if Jesus dies on the cross, hmm. the Quran already said that the prophet of Jerusalem is coming to save humanity. If he died, that means this person coming is a new prophet. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the prophecy of Muhammad is ruined, and he's not the last prophet. That so, would be a problem. That would be a problem, because yes. it's the only promise. So right. the Jesus that's coming has to be the same Jesus that was living before Muhammad. So it's almost like, because so they even had... Even though he comes after, yes, he's not the last prophet. It's Muhammad's like, still the last prophet. Because he didn't die. Be, right. Right. So it's almost like... If you want to bring Iron Man back in the next Avengers, but you're like, wait, but he died in that one. So we have to make it so that it's the same Iron Man so he didn't die. Otherwise, it's another Iron Man. Mm-hmm. So it's that simple. Because remember, the Islam, the Quran was written 622 years after Jesus. Right. So they had the Old Testament. They had the New Testament. Right. They had the script, so to speak. Right. right. They had the storyline. And I really sincerely feel it's as simple as they just had a storyline problem. They made a mistake. Yeah. They made a mistake. Because it was copied or well, I mean, plagiarized. Or... Yeah, or just you know, seen as truth but then misunderstood. And it's almost like this new prophet Muhammad was then brought into the picture. And this Jesus guy is ruining it for, for the Quran. It's like he, he needs to not die. <laughs> so, so what you're saying right now, and if there's devout Muslims out there listening, is really... Um, not a very welcome perspective. What you're, what you're, what you're, and I, and I, I just want to say that you're a, you're a very well studied guy. I'm very impressed with you and uh, your learning, and I'm even more impressed with the courage that it takes. I mean, I know the Holy Spirit takes our hearts of stone and makes them hearts of flesh, but there's a consequence. There's a price to be paid for a Muslim becoming a Christian. And, you know, it's a cultural thing, and it's, there's, there's, there's a heavy price, and maybe mm-hmm. you can uh, just relate a little bit about the price you paid, yeah. you know? I mean, it's, it's, it's not just like, hey, I walk into a church, and I'm going to be baptized, and boom. I'm, it's, there, is, there are consequences right. for you as, becoming a, a Christian. As yeah. you think about that real quick, this cost that you paid, I've been delinquent again. I just wanted to throw out the number again. Um, if people want to call and get a question in, for Wally, uh, before we wrap up here, we've got about 10 minutes left. You can. It's 888-995-5552. It's 888-995-KKLA. Any question you might have about Islam or uh, Wally's journey or Christianity in general, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So, The, the price that you just talked about, um, there's, also, there's also a huge reward mm. in that price. Because remember, if you know Islam, if you know the Quran, you know that that the prophet Muhammad wasn't, he wasn't followed by even his family at first. And, and so there was people that denied him. So there's already the storyline of, you know, you might be an outcast Mm -hmm. there, but Jesus, I think explained it best when he said he came here, not, not just for peace, but to separate, you know, to put father against son and mother against daughter. And, he warned us that that would happen. And that literally has happened for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but God has a way of, I think, making that easier by showing you his compassion and understanding when he says, you know, you know, father, do not, you know, do not punish them for they, for they do not even know their sins. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he was so forgiven, uh, you know, f- he was so forgiving that it makes it easier for us to say, you know what? I understand why they're why it's so hard for them, because it's part of the culture. It's so tied in. You know, here, I could be Presbyterian, I could be Baptist, I could be non-denominational, I could be any kind of Christian I want. It doesn't mm-hmm. affect who I'm going to marry or how I'm going to live. You know, like I can choose that, and mm-hmm. so you know, we have that freedom here, where it's like. Like as a Muslim, you went to an Afghan mosque or a Saudi mosque or like a Pakistani mosque, and they had very specific ways of saying the call to prayer. But at the end of the day, it was head down, do what you're supposed to do, sacrifice what you're supposed to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, honestly, I, I I never felt like Eid was even a celebration. It was like an obligation where like you're talking about Christmas, uh, you know, it, 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 it completely 
when you can let go of that problem of who Jesus really is and you do accept it, there was like this weight just comes off your shoulders. It's like, I don't have to be perfect. I, I don't have to know everything. I mean, that really was the big change for me. And, um, call that saved by grace. Yeah. I did want to go over to a call you guys real quick. I know we're, we're getting close to the end of the show here. Uh, but we do have a caller from Huntington beach. Greg, welcome to the apologetics.com radio show. Uh, you got a question for Wally tonight about Muslims? I do. I do. And, and Wally, I was I was really taken by the way you were spiritually, um, how you felt the gentleness of the Spirit and, and how that helped in your conversion. But my question is about um, the evil in our society that's very prevalent and whether or not there's a commonality between Christians and Muslims whereby Christians could kind of reach out to them because... Um, we're both against a lot of the evil that's going on. Yes, yes, that's a great point. I, I often try to tell people that that a Muslim is your best candidate to bring to Christ because you don't have to convince them on who God is and what God can do and how He created and what we're, you know, what we're capable of. And 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 you know, it is an Abrahamic religion, so the root of where we come from is the same and and you're right when it comes to things like you know like the social issues when it comes to abortion when it comes to family values those kinds of things we do align in a lot of those in a lot of those ways the the difference really the hard thing is the the understanding of what compassion and forgiveness really means i mean i tell people how can you know what grace feels like i mean how could you extend grace if you've never received it you know, it's like, you know, it's just like, like proven in, in our human existence that when, when children are given love, they give love, you know, and when uh, children are hurt and abused, they usually hurt and abuse. So this idea that the Muslims see that they have a God who, um, or last minute. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Our last minute here. Uh-huh. But, Sorry guys. But yeah, uh, you know, we have so many things in common and, but it all has to be rooted in Jesus because there's a lot of religions, a lot of world religions that could say, well, we believe in that too. And we believe in that also. And, and, and we could align ourselves with a lot of world philosophies. But there's one person that is in Islam and Christianity. He's in Hinduism. He's, you know, in our uh, society, he's everywhere that has no flaw. No one has said anything bad about Jesus ever. Amen. So that's the common, that's the common ground. Man, we are out of time. That hour flew by. I think we might have to do a part two on this show because uh, we still got callers on the line. So we're sorry we didn't get to you guys. But we will be back next Friday at midnight, um, and we look forward to chatting with you then. There's two calls left on the line. We're sorry. If you guys want to hang out and we could talk to you Just after the show. Just give my cell phone number. Uh, yeah. Stay on the line. We could talk to you right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, God bless you. From Apologetics.com, this is Jason Gallagher saying uh, have a good night. Bye.